Well, good morning. It is a blessing to open our Bibles once again to the book of Psalms. Can you please open your Bibles to Psalm 124? I trust everybody had a, a blessed Thanksgiving. Um, I was taken aback by this New Testament reading this morning, which was very providential, where it discusses the grace of the gospel going forth, where it talks about the spreading of the grace of God so that more and more thanksgiving could be given to God. What a great reminder as we all gathered in our families for Thanksgiving that as we share the truth of the gospel with those around us, certainly those who are perishing, that when God converts a sinner, it, about, it results in more thanksgiving towards him. And in one way or another, that is the theme of today's message, providential in more ways than one, that this sermon today is a sermon on thanksgiving. Thanksgiving in suffering. If you recall the other Psalms of Ascents that we have covered thus far, I'll read you the titles to jog your memory. Psalm 120 was Trust in Exile. Then Psalm 121 was Trust in the School of Christ. Then Psalm 122 I titled A Saintly Waiting. Then Psalm 123 was Trust in Suffering. And now in Psalm 124, we will now learn of thanksgiving in suffering. So what a timely message as we are fresh off of our Thanksgiving holiday. Thanksgiving in suffering. The general objective for today's message is that you would come to see that only the Christian will have a song of thanksgiving on their lips forever. And that you, by God's grace, would be singing that song of thanksgiving even now amidst your various sufferings and trials. If you're keeping an outline, it's three in part. Verse 1 will be the great protection. The great protection. Verse 2 is the great enemy. That's actually verses 2 through 5. The great enemy. And verses 6 through 8 is the great exchange. So we have the great protection, the great enemy, and the great exchange. Now that you have your Bibles open to Psalm 124, let me catch up with you and read along with me. Psalm 124, a song of ascents, of David. Had it not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, had it not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the waters would have engulfed us. The stream would have swept over our soul. Then the raging waters would have swept over our soul. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Let us seek his help in prayer once more, brothers and sisters. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, we do ask your help as we unpack this portion of scripture, Psalm 124, that you have set before us this morning. Lord, show us wonderful things in your law. Show us your son, Jesus Christ, so that we may be strengthened and that our thanksgiving may abound all the more to his glory and our good. And we ask these things in Christ's precious name, and we all say, Amen. Amen. Well, again, Thanksgiving is just in the rearview mirror, as I trust that you all had a blessed Thanksgiving with your family and friends, and even for those maybe among us, certainly among those who are of the human race, there are many who have not uh, shared a Thanksgiving with family and friends this year, and yet, if you are a Christian you would have had a song of thanksgiving in your heart, regardless of who you spent that Thursday with. But what a blessing it is for those among us who can spend that time with family and friends around a table filled with way too much food. Well, during the holiday season, many on the internet, and especially in social media, share their greetings and kind sentiments, and this Thanksgiving was no different, and I can guarantee you Christmas will also be no different. But there was one that caught my attention this year, which I later shared before we prayed as a family in my home over our Thanksgiving meal, and it was a reflection on Psalm 107. And it read this, Psalm 107 is a helpful guide in our giving thanks to the Lord. The first three verses announce the theme of thankfulness. This is what it says, Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands from the east and from the west from the north and from the south. And then Charles Spurgeon had a quote following this sermon, or following this uh, verse from Psalm 107. And Spurgeon says this, The greater our present trials, the louder will our future songs be. And the more intense our joyful gratitude. May gratitude to God permeate my entire life. What a prayer from the Prince of Preachers off an observation of Psalm 107. But Sermon uh, Spurgeon put his finger on today's sermon that we're going to be hearing today. It's my prayer that all of us leaving here this day will have a louder song on our lips for the clearer vision that we're given this morning of our great God and Savior's love, especially in the face of of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose again for us so that we would reign with him now in the heavenly places and one day reign with him on an earth made new. Amen. What a song of thanksgiving will be heard in that day. Let's rehearse it now as we feed on this psalm together. For that future glory will certainly come to pass according to his word. Let us feed together. Section one, the great protection. This is thankfulness that abounds to our great protector. Thankfulness that abounds to our great protector. Look at verse one with me. Had it not been the Lord 
who was on our side. Here we have the psalmist who is making an observation, an observation in the midst of all of the trials that will follow from this first verse. But he's making an observation that says, had it not been the Lord who was on our side. In other words, if it was anybody else, if it was any other king, if it was any other soldier or army or protector, what, he, what the rhetorical thought is that will later follow is we would have perished. But no, had it not been the Lord who is on our side. I want us to consider as believers this morning that it's the same Lord of the psalmist who is on our side as believers in Christ. This psalmist lived before the cross. This psalmist lived before the incarnation that we're going to be singing many songs undoubtedly even this evening most likely. But it's the same Lord, the same Lord and God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true and living God. He is on your side even as we sit here this morning if you put your faith and your trust in him. But I want to go all the way back before the cross, before the incarnation, I want to go back and consider God's great protection in the thematic event of the Exodus because it has so much bearing on the New Covenant community. It's used often in the New Testament as a type that points to our salvation in Christ Jesus. So if you are able, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14 and let's look at God's great protection of his covenant people, Israel in that great event. I'm going to be starting in verse 10, and I'm going to read this rather lengthy passage and make a few observations as we consider God's great protection before the cross. Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse 10. This is as Israel has now left Egypt. The ten plagues, again, are in the rearview mirror. And they are now in the wilderness, and who's on their heels? It's the Egyptians, and it's Pharaoh, and his chariots, and their armies. Verse 10. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. This is a physical enemy. And not just any physical enemy. This is the army of Egypt. An equivalent would be, in our world today, if the army of the United States of America was hunting you down. And naturally, the Israelites were frightened. They have just left Egypt. Pharaoh said, go, after these ten plagues. And you remember how tightly he held his grip on the people of Israel. But finally, was forced by the Lord to let the people go. And even the Egyptians gave them gifts as they fled. But now they're fleeing into the wilderness, being persecuted by this great army. And they were frightened. Can you blame them? So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, Amen. That's what we do. When we're frightened, when we're on the run, being persecuted, we cry out to the Lord, but, comes verse 11. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt 
that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. This is a good illustration about how we can do the right things the wrong way. Is it right to call upon the name of the Lord? Amen. Is it right to call upon the name of the Lord in our trials and in our despair and in our frightened stature? Amen. But is it right to call upon the name of the Lord with sarcasm and unbelief dripping from your lips? No. And that's exactly what they were doing. For Moses, the man that God had appointed, was being persecuted by his own countrymen. That will serve as a picture as we consider our Lord Jesus Christ being persecuted by his own countrymen in a very similar way. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians who you have seen today, will you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Now, I wonder about verse 14, about the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Not as if we need to keep silent. If they were praying in faith to the Lord throughout this ordeal, I don't think Moses would have said, while you keep silent. But in other words, quiet your murmuring lips and watch as the Lord fights your battles for you. I just want to keep reading because this is a good story. Verse 15, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his armies through his chariots and his horsemen. In other words, I will take this fear and turn it around, not only for my glory, but for your good. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots, and through his horsemen. Don't miss verse 19. The angel of God. Who's that? We've identified him as the Lord Jesus Christ, who had been going before the camp of Israel. Oh, how the angel of the Lord encircles and encamps around his people to protect them. He moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. The angel of the Lord protected his people. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land. What a miracle. He didn't, here's a miracle that's often missed. He didn't just part the sea, but he made that muddy ground where the sea was dry. So the waters were divided. 
The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. In other words, the Israelites could have said, as they were crossing through the Red Sea on dry land, had it not been the Lord who was on our side, we would have been destroyed by the Egyptian armies and Pharaoh. But here we see the Lord fighting the battles of ancient Israel. Here we see the angel of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the one who is encamping with the saints, protecting them, hedging them on the right and on the left. And God, by his miraculous power, giving through Moses the ability to part the Red Sea so that the covenant people of God would be protected and saved. This is a picture. This is a picture of God's work in the New Covenant community today. Again, the New Testament says time and time again, we have been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, into his marvelous light. There's an Exodus theme for us as believers who have gone from the kingdom of darkness with our stony hearts and our unbelief into the kingdom of light, the Lord Jesus Christ's kingdom where we reign with him now in the heavenly places. And all the while we are in this exodus, in our fleshly bodies, going to that celestial kingdom, he is with us. He is encamped around us, as he was with the covenant people of old. The nation of Israel was repeatedly comforted by the word of the Lord, reminding them that he himself was their protector. Consider just a few examples, a splattering from the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 20, verse 4. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Or 2 Chronicles 20, verse 17. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed like the Israelites as they were fleeing the Egyptians. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Or Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So often it starts with, don't be afraid, because we often are. Isaiah 54.17, no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. Jeremiah 1.8 Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Psalm 34.17 When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. All Old Testament verses all old covenant promises. So the question may arise in your thinking, but maybe that was just for the nation of Israel, the physical nation of Israel, that covenant people in the Mosaic covenant. Maybe that was just for them. Maybe God doesn't protect us the same way that he protected them. It was so visible for them. They would go into a battle physically and the armies would fall and they could see it with their eyes what physical miracles they could see with the Red Sea parting. Oh, if only we had a sight like that. Then we would know that, the God, that God fights our battles for us. But I don't see it, you may say. I don't see him fighting my battles. 
I want to take a quick excursus with that question, a lesson from the lesser to the greater. I would argue, and I believe the Bible argues, brothers and sisters, that our protection is actually a greater protection. It's a greater thing to have spiritual protection than physical protection. Amen? Lessons from the lesser to the greater. Number one, ethnic Israel was physically saved, whereas spiritual Israel is spiritually saved. Consider 1 John 4, 4, where John taught us previously, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Point two, ethnic Israel was temporally saved through physical warfare, whereas spiritual Israel is eternally saved through spiritual warfare. 2 Corinthians 10.4 For the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Mark it, divine power. Not cunning craftiness by your own thinking. Not even the spiritual power that you may muster, but divine power. For you have no spiritual power apart from God. Or ethnic Israel's protection was conditional. Think about this, brothers and sisters. This is, again, from the lesser to the greater. Ethnic Israel's protection was conditional upon their external obedience to the law. How do we know that to be the case? Because when they stopped obeying the, the statutes of the Mosaic Covenant, guess what? God stopped fighting for them. And they were destroyed. They were swept away. They were taken into Babylon. They were decimated. But spiritual Israel's protection is unchangeable. Grounded in the perfect obedience of the Son of God on our behalf. What do you want? Do you want the protection of national Israel? Or do you want the protection of spiritual Israel? Anybody in their right-thinking mind with the Spirit of God indwelling them will want the latter, not the former. Romans 8.31 If God is for us, who, who is against us? But in all these things, all those things that are flooding your mind about the trials that you're going through, in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him. Or some translations may say we are more than conquerors. We don't just conquer by the skin of our teeth, but we are overwhelmingly conquering through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not the case with national Israel. It is the case with spiritual Israel. But, as it was the case in the Exodus, 
It is our natural, sinful instinct in trouble to grumble while the enemy pursues us. Like the Israelites, our words might sound like theirs. Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What unfaithful sarcasm. So, thinking back to our sermon in Psalm 123, to whom shall we commit our care? The only wise answer is to the one we learn from Psalm 123. O oh, you who are enthroned in the heavens. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Amen? Amen. But sometimes our intimidation at the various trials before us make us shrink back. Nevertheless, God's grace is sufficient to cause us to rejoice even at our lowest times. I know I can think back to times where I have been discouraged and I have grumbled with word, with spirit. But God's grace is sufficient to cause us to rejoice even at our lowest times. And just because you have grumbled in the past doesn't mean that you have to grumble in the future. It very well could be that you will grumble in the future. And here's the, here's the, the promise that we're learning is that your faithfulness is not conditional to the promise of God's protection in the new covenant. Because we have a great enemy that is nipping at our heels each and every day. And so that brings us from our great protector to the great enemy. Look back to Psalm 124 at verse 1b. Let Israel now say, Had it not been the Lord who was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the waters would have engulfed us, the stream would have swept over our soul. Then the raging waters would have swept over our soul. Here the psalmist is unpacking some undisclosed event in the nation of Israel's history. Commentators will wrestle if it's about a particular event, but the point is this. God had saved the nation of Israel so many times that it doesn't matter if it's listed. This was a common theme in the Old Testament where God had delivered the Israelites out of the hands of their enemies. And sometimes it may have even seemed that it was by the skin of their teeth that they have, had barely gotten by. Whereas in other times, they went by without even one casualty. We've looked at those miraculous events as well. But I want to look at this language of waters. When it says the waters would have engulfed us, the raging waters would have swept over our soul. This language of waters and this language of raging, the first thing that comes to mind is that the outside world is always raging against the church. I was reflecting on this point at Thanksgiving, and each Thanksgiving it becomes more and more remarkable that our culture tolerates Thanksgiving. 
because of what it so clearly represents, a thanksgiving to God in heaven. And it always meant that, in our culture at least. And yet, the outside unbelieving world finds ways to twist it, finds ways to qualify it, where instead of giving thanks to God, their, their uh, theme is to give thanks to others. I want to thank you for what you have done in my life. I want to thank all you, the employees who work for me, or I want to thank my family and my friends. And there is a place for giving thanks to those whom we love. But don't miss the sleight of hand that takes place on Thanksgiving when those who want to give thanks to those around them are doing so just so they don't have to give thanks to the one true and living God who the holiday is about. And it's nothing new. The outside world has always been raging against the Lord and against his anointed. Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. This is a theme that is carried throughout Scripture. And as we look at national Israel, they were constantly being persecuted by the outside nations, the heathens who rage in Psalm 2. So when the psalmist says, the raging waters would have swept over our soul, I believe he's pointing to these unbelieving nations who had the leverage and the ability to militarily squash the small nation of Israel. But they have a problem. And that problem is the one true and living God who protects his people. I want to look more at this idea of waters being symbolic of nations. Turn, if you're able, to Revelation chapter 17. And I want to look a little closer, especially to the end of the section that I will read. Because I believe it will give us confidence as we endure persecution and suffering. And will be fuel for our fire of thanksgiving to our Lord. Revelation 17, here in one of the seven cycles in the book of Revelation that repeats over and over from the first to the second coming of Christ, we read this in verse 14 of chapter 17. These will rage against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, because He is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with Him are called the Chosen and faithful. Who are these who rage against the Lamb? It is the nations. And who is this Lamb? Well, it is the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, none other than Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, our great God and Savior. And he said to them, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So here we have in the book of Revelation waters being symbolic of peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And no doubt they're raging peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Why do the heathens rage and the people imagine a vain thing? 
Verse 16. And the ten horns which you saw and the beast, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. As Jesus said, a house divided cannot stand. Now listen to verse 17. For God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. What an amazing lens into that persecution. God is the one who has put it into their hearts to execute his purpose? Are you telling me it's God's purpose that the heathens would rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Well, certainly not according to his prescriptive will, but certainly according to his decretive will. In other words, if it happens, God planned it. Why? Because all things happen according to the counsel of his will. And so as we come back to this theme of suffering, it's to remind ourselves that God is the author, not of sin, but of all things in history. And that we have precious promises that he's given to us in his word, that all things work together for our good to those who love him. And so it is true that sin is an enemy, but it is also true that the devil is God's devil. And the nations that rage are acting according to the decretive will of God and nothing can happen apart from his will. And if you know that his plan and his will for you is your ultimate song of thanksgiving that will never perish on your lips on an eternal earth that will never die, how does that give you confidence to enter the sufferings that you are experiencing? What's more, we've discussed how our sufferings have eternal significance because we are filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions and how our sufferings are not just we'll deal with it until the new earth comes, but rather they have significance because it is Christ who is being persecuted as we are being persecuted for his namesake and how that can give us the perspective to rejoice in our sufferings knowing that they're not just temporary pointless afflictions, but temporary purposeful afflictions. What's the purpose? To make you more like Christ. And as one sister told me after that sermon, and what it also means is that you're never alone in your sufferings. Because even if you are physically alone, you're never spiritually alone, because Christ is holding your hand through them all. He is not only our great protector, but he's also our great comforter. Consider the words of Matthew Henry. God suffers the enemies of his people, sometimes to prevail very far against them, that his own power may appear the more illustrious in their deliverance. Didn't we see that in the Exodus? where it seems like there's no odds left. If we were a betting man or a betting woman, we would say, there's no way I'm getting out of this one. This is ending in despair and turmoil and destruction. What Matthew Henry is saying is that sometimes God allows our enemies to prevail very far against us so that his power may appear the more illustrious in our deliverance. Have you experienced that? 
Have you experienced times where you were so low that you have said to yourself, only God could have gotten me out of this? Well, the Israelites certainly felt that way as they were between an Egyptian army and the Red Sea. And if you can't think of a time in your life where that is metaphorically a case, praise the Lord, but it may be. And remember this sermon that the Lord is able to part that sea and to bring you through. And maybe he has brought you to that travail for that very purpose, to show you his power and to show you that his grace is sufficient. William Gurnall in his very popular book, The Full Christian Armor of God, we fear man so much because we fear God so little. Think about that. We fear man so much because we fear God so little. You want to fear man less? Then fear God more. One fear cures another. Or as Martin Luther is recorded as saying, I know not the way he leads me. Oh, how often the way that the Lord leads us in this life is around twists and turns, hills and valleys. I know not the way he leads me, Luther says. But well do I know my guide. It doesn't matter what this life brings you. If you belong to Christ, you know your guide. And as Luther would say at the end, what have I to fear? It doesn't matter what this life may bring. If you know your guide, the maker of heaven and earth, what have you to fear? Again, an argument from the lesser to the greater. That is the great enemy. So even though we have great reason to fear, we have great confidence in our God and our Savior. Let us look lastly to the great exchange. The great exchange. Thankfulness abounds for the great exchange. Verses 6 through 8. Read with me. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Yes, it is the common trial of the church to be persecuted. Jesus said, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Matthew 10, 22. Or do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. 1 John 3, 13. Or in Luke chapter 6. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Yes, this idea of being given over to our enemies and torn by their teeth reminds me of the devil himself being pictured as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, someone to rip to pieces. He would love nothing more than to take one of the saints and rip them to pieces. Brothers and sisters, he would love nothing more than to do that to you. But it's not just him who you battle. It is also the world. And it's not just the world who you battle. It's also your flesh. 
you have a threefold enemy, your flesh, the world, and the devil. If it were not the Lord who were on your side, surely you would be washed over. You would be destroyed. But blessed be the Lord who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. God has not given us to be torn by their teeth. And now here's the climax. You know why? Because he took your place instead. Turn to Psalm 22. The psalmist can rejoice that he was delivered. The psalmist can rejoice that the nation was delivered. The psalmist can rejoice saying, The Lord has not given us to be torn by their teeth. Our soul has escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord. That is only a song that we can sing because of the great exchange. Because God himself took our place in that terrible idea. Verse 1 of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. We know the first verse well. It is the words uttered by our Lord Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. We've seen that over and over and over again. National Israel was delivered time and time again. They trusted and you delivered. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. Think about this. This is a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. What was it pointing to? All those episodes in the history of Israel that they would be able to be freed from their pursuing enemy. What does it mean for us in the New Covenant community that we are spiritually freed by all these pursuing enemies? Verse 6, But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They wag the head saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, because he delights in him. Mocking words. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breasts. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. 
They have opened wide their mouths at me. As a ravening and roaring lion, there's that language there of gnashing teeth. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shard and my tongue cleaves to my jaws and you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. Deliver my soul from the sword, my only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. You answer me. Again, Jesus is in the lion's mouth. We say, blessed be the Lord who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. Do you recognize, brothers and sisters, that it's because Jesus was? I will tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Rather, he took it upon himself and paid for it. Nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. From you comes my praise in the great assembly. I shall pay my vows before those who fear him. The afflicted will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your hearts live forevermore. Again, why will you eat and be satisfied in him? Because he took your place. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's. And he rules over the nations. All the, all the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust will bow before him. Even he who cannot keep his soul alive, posterity will serve him. It will be told of the Lord to the, to the coming generations. They will come and will declare his righteousness to a people who will be born. That he, he, the Lord Jesus Christ has performed it. This psalm begins with suffering and ends with glory. This psalm begins with an obscure picture of the gospel, the person and the work of Jesus Christ, his sufferings. And it ends with the proclamation of that good news. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born, that he has performed it. That's what I'm proclaiming to you this morning, the gospel, that the reason why we are not given to be torn by the teeth of the lion, the reason why our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper is the very reason why that snare is broken the cross of Calvary. He broke it on the cross. He broke the power of sin and death by standing in your place.
this psalm of thanksgiving has as its backdrop the great exchange. Save me from the lion's mouth were the words of our Savior as he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah 53. How has the Lord given us out of the teeth of the lion of Satan? By putting himself in those jaws instead. Like a bird out of a snare of the trapper, the snare is broken. For the wages of sin is death. But praise be to our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ that he redeems us from sin. And instead we get life. Great is the protection of our Lord. No matter what uncharted road attended by the deepest sorrows we can sing, it is well with my soul. Only the Christian, only the Christian can sing that song. Fierce are the enemies of this world, not the least of which is the greatest enemy, death. Only the Christian can pass through the waters safely to the other side. Great is the mystery of the great exchange, that all of this is only made possible by the endless love of an all-powerful Savior who robed himself in frail humanity and bore the curse that we deserve so that we could go free and live. Amen? Amen. Spurgeon is right. The greater our present trials, the louder will our future songs be, and the more intense our joyful gratitude. May gratitude to God permeate our entire lives. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this psalm of thanksgiving. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings that preceded us this morning, especially that day which is known as Thanksgiving in our culture, where we got to gather and give you thanks, Lord, for what you have given us so abundantly, not only in this temporal life, but spiritually, Lord. Our cups overflow with the righteousness of Christ. May we pass that cup to our neighbor who is drinking from an empty well. May we have the grace as beggars ourselves to show them where they can find bread. The bread who has come down from heaven, your son Jesus Christ, who gives life to all, who figuratively eat his flesh and drink his blood. Lord, may we, in a symbolic way, partake of this supper this morning with that greater measure of faith, knowing that it is because of your Son, Jesus Christ, and our feeding on him, and our union with him, that we, too, will live through the various trials that attend us on our way to glory. It's in Christ's precious name that we pray. And we all say...